Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Lift every voice and sing till earth and It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so today we have on the show survivors from a a family. They're going to speak out. They're survivors uh, of a, a guy down in Houston, Texas. He was a victim of a home invasion where these guys went into his home, shot him in the throat, and this guy survived. He's not going to be able to speak ever again, so we, we can't get him, but we are going to have his father. We are going to have a friend. We're also going to have his aunt on the phone because I am furious. I am so furious about this story because this young man was shot in his home. He was right where he was supposed to be. Guy, someone comes in. Three guys come in. One guy shoots this guy in the throat. This guy goes to the hospital. He stumbles out of the apartment. He gets out of the apartment, you know, walking uh, down the road, trying to get some help. The guys get away. The police are called. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, it took the Houston Police Department nine days to contact this guy. Nine days. I am so furious right now. Nine days. What happened to the 48 hours? The first 48 hours are so important. The first 48 hours, we need to find out what's going on. We got to get all the information in the first 48 hours. We got to contact, you know, all suspects. We need to get all the evidence in the first 48 hours. Not only did that happen, nine days it took the Houston Police Department to contact this guy. And the only reason they contacted him was to tell his family members to not Bugged the police because they were going to charge them with harassment because they were constantly calling the police department asking when are they going to take a report from this guy who's in ICU nine days later. We're going to talk. We're going to hear from his father. We're going to hear from his aunt. We're going to hear from his friend. We're going to get the details because I need to get down to the bottom of this. I know all the facts of what's going on. And then also over in Chicago. That's right. Chi town. We're going to have an instructor on the on the line here. He's going to tell us what's going on in Chi-Town because a, a handgun license holder said at a bus stop guy comes up there and tries to rob her. He robs her. She shoots him. Good girl with a gun. That's what I'm talking about. That's the story we're going to hear about today because uh, you don't hear those stories. We don't we don't hear all the stories where, you know, where good guys and gals with guns stop the criminals. You know why? Because the media don't want you to know that. 
here in Austin, Texas, just today, this morning, had a guy goes into a 7-Eleven on, I, I'm sorry, Ben White, Ben White Boulevard in Congress, robs the place, runs down the street. He gets stopped. He gets caught. Now, you're going to find out by who. Led the police straight to him. All because why? Good witness. Didn't get involved. Just dialed 911, contacted the police, and was a very good witness. Then jump out of his car, grab a gun, and try to stop the guy. No, stayed in his vehicle, contacted the police, gave him the description, direction the guy was going, and he was a great witness. Police came there, surrounded this guy, caught him without incident. That's how it's supposed to happen. We're going to talk about that and more, but let me go to the phone lines. Let's bring in Mike Brown. Mike Brown from Chicago, Chi-Town. Welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, what's going on, sir? Man, I'm doing outstanding. So Mike Brown is an instructor. He's a firearms instructor out of Chicago. And you teach the handgun license course out of the state of Illinois. Is that correct, Mike Brown? That's correct. Yes, I do. All right. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Why did you start teaching the handgun license? Well, I started teaching that because uh, myself, you know, uh, a former <laughs> crime victim, you know, born and raised in Chicago, things like that, you know, uh, having gone to the military and, you know, helping those who can't help themselves and coming back as a police officer, you know, I often felt that, you know, we can't ever arrive on scene on time to stop a person who is dead set on trying to harm you. And it would be a great thing to take the skills that I've learned in the military and in law enforcement to empower citizens to protect themselves. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. And so so you decided, you know what? I'm not going to be a victim anymore. This is Chi-Town in Chicago. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start teaching the handgun license course and educate my community and teach them how to turn the tables around. Absolutely. You know what? It's funny, Mike, because uh, my great-grandfather was a retired, well, he was a minister. He was an AME pastor, AME. He was 96 when he died. And the one thing I will never forget about my grandfather is he said, you know what, Michael? You know, I like to bring everyone the Lord. That's what he said. He wanted to bring everyone the Lord. He, and my great grandfather would have this Bible and he would open up this Bible in the middle of this Bible. There was a hole cut out. He said, Michael, I like to bring everyone the Lord. My great grandfather would reach his hands into that Bible. He would take out this revolver and he'd say, you know what? When I cannot bring them the Lord, I will send them to the Lord. And let me tell you, there's some people, sometimes you just got to send them to Jesus and let Jesus take care of them because we can't handle them down here on earth. Absolutely. So, you know, tell us a little about about, uh, this young lady, this story about a handgun license holder. She's standing at a bus stop and all of a sudden comes along. This guy, you know, tries to take what she has worked hard for. Right. Well, that is the case. Uh, She was standing in the south side of Chicago at a bus stop. Uh, it's unknown whether she was waiting for the bus or whether she was waiting for some other uh, method of transportation. Sometimes people do that as well. But in any event, uh, this guy was just dead set on trying to uh, victimize her and take her stuff. And, you know, there's no guarantee that in an armed robbery that you are going to survive the encounter. Most people think they just want your uh, goods. They may want to kill you because now you are a witness to that crime. But in any event, she decided to tell death, not today. And she pulled out her firearm and did, in fact, used her firearm to uh, stop the deadly threat. And then using her firearm to stop the deadly threat, uh, she did, in fact, uh, you know, he subsequently died at Christ Medical Center, you know, uh, after having been shot in the neck. Mm. And sometimes that's just how it should happen. 
You know, you got to at one point in your life figure out, you know, you know what? Today, I'm not going to be a victim. Today, I'm going to learn the tools that I need to protect myself and also protect my family. You know what? I'm, you know, I'm going to learn what the laws are in my state and where I live. I need to know where I can, where I cannot take that handgun, what I can and what I cannot do with that handgun. And I'm going to buy a gun. I'm going to take some classes. I'm going to be very proficient with that firearm. And I'm going to learn how to defend myself from someone who's trying to either kill me or take the things that I've worked so hard for. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and Mike Brown's one of those instructors out of Chicago. And I tell you, you have a hard job, Mike Brown, in Chicago. Hard job. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's for Chi-Town. Sure. How, how in the world? What, how do you guys deal with that? You know, how do you deal with you know, Chicago? Well, the thing is, I mean, Chicago, if you're born and raised here, it's just like, you know, uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's like home, but it's kind of like home. You know, you just know where you can go, where you should avoid. And, you know, to me, I, even though there's a lot of crime uh, in certain areas of the city, you find every area of the city. And so, you know, you just learn how to navigate, you know, around in the city. And, you know, uh, situational awareness, I say that is definitely key. You know, uh, profiling and, and making sure that you don't fit certain profiles and, you always wash people's hands. And it's a, I would say it's a healthy dose of paranoia, but it keeps you alert, it keeps you alive, it keeps you safe, you know, and just always uh, watching your six, watching your front, stuff like that. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hard job, but, you know, it's, it's everyday life. And so, you know, I'd rather be aware, you know, uh, than not be aware. All right, we're talking with Mike Brown. He's a handgun instructor out of Chicago, Illinois. We're talking about several things today. Got to talk about this family down in Houston, Texas. This guy was, he was a home, he was invaded inside of his home, shot in the throat. He survived, barely survived, got out of the house, got help, and it took the Houston Police Department nine days to come and save him. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, you cannot wait for the police to come and save you, to come and help you. We got to take our own personal protection in our own hands. But we're going to hear from this, his guy's family. I want to hear from his family and hear uh, the things that he's going through because not only did it take the Houston Police Department nine days to come and take a statement from this guy or get it from his family, it took them nine days to do that. Also, he was evicted while he was in the hospital because his complex said because there's a crime there, they evicted him while he was in the hospital, evicted and changed the locks. Something's got to change in this country. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Peace, this is Mark Duray. You're listening to Come and Talkin' Radio with Michael Cargill. Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. That's right. We're talking today about, uh, you know what? Uh, when good guys and gals, you know, when they have to do the unthinkable and protect themselves and, and stop that threat. That's what we're talking about today because you're not going to hear that on the mainstream media. You're not going to hear that at all, but you will hear that here on Come and Talk It. You know, and also we're going to tell you some down home stories because you, you, you have to listen to the story to believe it. You have to hear it from the family members. You got to hear it from the survivors to understand, you know, what people go through and what's happening in this country so that you may not want to wait for the police to come and save you or do the investigation because they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. If it takes the Houston Police Department nine days 
to go and talk to a victim who was shot in the throat in his own home. And it was all caught on video, all caught on video nine days. Do you honestly think that they're working for you? No, they're not. Not at all. So, you know, I, man, I'm, I'm just so hurt by this story. You know, I, I listened to this. I, I watched the news story from it. Um, and just to watch this guy stumble out of his house after being shot in the throat, looking for someone to help him. And now he has been evicted from his home. My goodness, what country are we living in today? How in the world can you evict someone who was a victim of a crime? He paid his rent. He paid it. And you evicted him because there was some type of crime in the apartment. So you changed the locks. No, I'm not going to stand here for that. We're not standing here for that at all. We need to hold everyone accountable. The Houston Police Department needs to be held accountable. Nine days. Unacceptable. You cannot. Don't kick. What heart do you have? What black heart do you have where you kick someone out of their home, evict them while they're in the hospital? You're just a heartless individual. And we're going to let everyone know about you. So we're, let's go back to Chi-Town, Chicago. Let's talk to Mike Brown. Um, Mike Brown, you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, awesome. So, Mike Brown, tell us some of the laws in Chicago. Um, you know, how hard is it to get a, a handgun license in Chicago? Well, it's rather lengthy, uh, longer <laughs> than it needs to be for you to get a handgun license. You know, you typically have to go through a 16-hour concealed carry course with a live fire component uh, that covers, what, 21 rounds out of 30 rounds. Uh, you have to get a 70%. Uh, and then, you know, in learning the laws, you have to learn about use of force and defensive person when you can and cannot shoot, you know, in terms of defensive dwelling. And unlike other states, which have a castle doctrine law or a stand your ground law, Illinois does not have a stand your ground law. It also has more places where you cannot carry a firearm. And these places just have to be, have, happen to be your soft target places, places that typically get attacked. Uh, like your schools and certain, you know, houses of worship and things like that. Well, houses of worship are rather private, but schools definitely, uh, government buildings, things like that, you know. And so government buildings typically be the standard uh, in, in every state just about where you cannot carry, but especially when it comes down to public transportation. And that was where the young lady, you know, was standing and perhaps maybe she was getting on public transportation. In Chicago, there's a lot of public transportation violent crime, you know, and the police, even though they have, a transportation section within the Chicago Police Department, they are rarely there to stop crime as it happens. Okay. And then, and tell us, uh, so like, for example, the city bus, um, can right. a person with a license carry on the, uh, on the city bus there? Absolutely. No, can't carry on a city bus, can't carry and I'm not on say- the train. And I'm not saying she was getting on the bus or anything like that. I'm just curious. Right, right, right. Okay. Right. No, you can't carry on the bus or on the train. Okay. Uh, we have to rely the, uh, rely on the police to protect us, and that's not going to happen. You know? Yeah, and see, that's why I don't go to Chicago, because that's the one good thing about Texas, the Lone Star State. You can, with a handgun license, carry on the on the city bus and also you know on the metro rail and stuff like that. You can, matter of fact, in Texas, good. you can open carry and you can conceal carry with a license. Yeah, see, that's good. That's yeah, good. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so, all right, so you don't have a stand-your-ground law, so that means that if something's happened, you've got to find a way out. Absolutely. There's a duty to retreat. You got to find a way out. It has to be a last resort. Now, your last resort could be your first uh, resort in certain respects, or your last resort could be the first option that you take, and that first option could be deadly force. But, you know, in any, as you well know, 
in any type of defense case where you are claiming that you took the action that took that person's life, mm-hmm. the affirmative defense lands on you, the defendant, you know, to be able to state that, yes, I did it, but here are the legal reasons why I did it. And you better have the proof to be able to show. Oh, man, preach it. I tell you, I, man, I got to get you here to Austin, Texas, uh, get you to do like a little seminar so people can understand that, you know, especially when it comes to other states. You know, they're, you know yeah. we're lucky to be here in Texas, the Lone Star State, because in other states, it's not the same. You cross that threshold, yeah, and it doesn't matter if you have a Texas handgun license. If you, you carry in the state of Illinois, even though, you know, with a Texas license, I believe you can have the handgun in your vehicle as long as you're a Texas resident with a license. Correct? Yeah, that is correct, yes. Right. But so you, once you step outside of that vehicle, you are subject to the Illinois law that states that you can't carry there. And But you still have to follow the rules of engagement. Even though you're visiting absolutely, oh, absolutely, yes. So you 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 know, there's no duty to retreat. <laughs> you know, so like you know, in Texas, there's no duty to retreat. But once you go to Illinois, you have to retreat. Absolutely correct. Yeah. All, right. All right. So you know what? You know, I, I'm Mike Brown. I'm going to get you back on. You know, because I, I got to get to these other this thing in Houston. But I, I do want to get you yeah. back on. The plan was to keep you on the entire day, but then we have breaking news. Things happen. You know, because you got a lot of information. You're a wealth of information, especially coming from Illinois, because I, I have to respect my my license holders, my instructors from other states, like especially the state of Illinois uh, living in that state because you have a hard job. My hat is off to you. My job is easy in Texas. It is very simple. What I do here, your job, yeah. your job is difficult. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's high praise. <laughs> no, absolutely. And and please tell people how can they find you? Um, you know, what's the name of your company and all that stuff? Okay. Well, you can go online to MikeBrownsClass.com. That's MikeBrownsClass.com. We're in Chicago. Uh, you can check us out on Facebook uh, just under Instructor Mike or Mike Brown and just look for the picture of the black guy that's the instructor. Uh, there are many Mike Browns on there, but you'll see that. Uh, and so just uh, follow or send a friend request. And then uh, I also go live quite often on Facebook, so you can check that out. I also have a podcast on the mic with Mike. It's uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, things like that. That's right. Listen to Mike because Mike's got a, he's a wealth of information because he's that other black guy that, you know, teaches handguns. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. <laughs> All right, Mike Brown. Man, thank you, sir. I sure appreciate you. We're going to get you on again. Thank you, sir. We'll do. All right, sir. You have a wonderful rest of your weekend. All right, so now let me change gears a little bit. Let's go down to Houston, Texas. All right, so Mary Lou, you are the aunt of the young man that was actually shot down in Houston, uh, Jay Alvarez. Uh, so, Mary Lou, welcome to come and talk it, sir. I mean, ma'am. Come, welcome to come and talk it. Oh, yes. Hello. Hey, Mary Lou. All right. So, Mary Lou, tell us a little bit about, you know, what happened that day. So this was Christmas Eve when Jay Alvarez was at home because I I watched the video. Uh, He's at home and all of a sudden someone came over to visit. And then you take it from there. Yes, it was supposed to be at 120 when they walked in. You know, he thought it was his friend. So he's like, "Okay, come on in. He let him in, you know, bust him in, but he didn't know without knowing that he had two other gentlemen behind him. And, and you know, I'll tell you, and, he has a, he has a good security system. He has a good cameras. He has the nest. So his, oh. he has cameras all inside of his home. So unfortunately, we were able to see all of this on video. Oh, yes, yes. It's all caught on video. So, you know, so from any angle, you know, you see actually like some step by step. You can see what, you know, what they're planning, what they were doing as they walked in. And as they waited, you know, and, you know, my nephew, without knowing, they were downstairs while he was talking to his friend Marcus, or what we thought was his friend. 
you know, without knowing that the intentions were not, you know, the good thing to do, which was to go and invade his home, you know, and rob him. Okay. And so, and so now Jay, Jay Alvarez, he's at home. He buzzes in the guy that he, you know, the friend and along with the friend came other two other guys that were standing off to the side. So when he got buzzed in, the other two guys came in. Jay is upstairs because this is a three story like condo, correct? Correct. And so Jay is upstairs. The other two guys come in to the room where he was and they cock a handgun and put it to his face. Yes, and that actually, if you look at the times on the camera, it took a while for them to go upstairs because they were downstairs, you know, drinking and eating before they went upstairs. Wow. Yeah, so that's what kind of got us. It's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, they were still planning it. They were for sure, but as they walked in, that's when they started figuring out, okay, we're here now. What are we going to do? Let's plan this. You know, so they had to think quick about it. And Jay, without knowing that they were downstairs planning it, you know, he was on his way out. So he had no clue. So I guess they hit him, you know, from the side, and all that's right. when it all happened. All right. So we're talking with Mary Lou. She's the uh, she's the you know the aunt of Jay Alvarez. He was shot in the, in the throat down in Houston, Texas, home invasion. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talking. This is for that little child with no father. For that man that doesn't have a place to stay. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. You know, I I had to change the music a little bit because I got to calm down because I'm just furious. I'm furious over this story of how in the world can a young man be in his home where he's supposed to be three thugs go into his home one of them shoots him in the throat this guy barely survives stumbles outside gets help and then it takes the houston police department nine days to go and talk to him to get his you know get the side of the story or you know to start really to really start the investigation nine days Nine days. You you hear if you watch the first 48 hours, you got to watch that show. That's a very important show because they tell you the first 48 hours are very important. Once it gets past the first 48 hours, it is almost impossible to solve cases. You know, but in this case, they actually know exactly who did it. And we're talking to the family and friends of Jay Alvarez. Uh, we're talking to his family's friends today. We're talking to his aunt, Mary Lou, and she was telling us about, you know, the fact that he, he was at home. Jay was at home where he's supposed to be. He buzzed this guy in. Guy comes in with two other friends. They come in. They go upstairs. They put a gun to his face after being downstairs for a little while inside of his home. And they shoot him and beat him inside of his home. Mary Lou, go ahead and take it from there. Yes. And, you know, it's it, what's what's strange about it was that, you know, my nephew was there to help that gentleman, you know, without thinking like, oh, you know, without, you know, because it was late at night. So he's like, oh, OK, you know, he probably needed another place to stay again. So he let him in, you know, and without knowing that that was going to happen. So it kind of caught him off guard. And, you know, as you can see on the video as well, like 
when they shot him, his arm, I guess it hit the, the bullet shit hit his nerve. So one of his arms was just dangling, you know, as he was fighting them off with one arm. So that was, that was like really like brave of him, you know, for him to do that. And uh, I don't know if you got the other video where the other gentleman was downstairs trying to get the gun ready to shoot him again mm-hmm. for the time, you know. So he, he ran out and he couldn't even open the door. As you can hear it probably too as well. He was trying to open the door, but you can hear where like he was struggling because he only had one hand, you know, to open the door because he had no feeling on the other one. So, you know, it was awful. It was just awful. Oh, wow. That's crazy. All right. So, you know, what? And, and let me ask you this. All right. So. So he finally, you know, gets help. You know, he, he, what what does he do? Does he make it to one of the neighbors? What happened from there? Well, actually, um, when he ran out, the thing was in that first video where you see where they first like you know sneak up on him. He had his bag, and in his bag he had his phone. So they took his phone and everything. But the good thing was that he had his iPhone uh, uh, watch, so he was able to text because he wasn't able to talk. You know. Wow. So as he ran out, he ran to the right side on on the other main street. Right. And from there, that's when he texts nine one one and. You know, they picked him up and they took him to the hospital. That's how he got help because there was nobody out there. All right. And so we also yeah. have we also have on the phone uh, Jesus, uh, and this is the father of Jay Alvarez. Uh, Jesus, yeah. uh, line three. You don't want to come and talk it, sir. Line three, Jesus. No? Okay. Uh, let me go to line uh, line one with J- Josh. Josh, you don't want to come and talk it. Josh? Yes. Can you hear me, Josh? All right, so we'll come back to him, and we'll see if my producer can get them back. Um, Jesus, you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here with my my son. All right, there we go. All right, so Jesus, uh, definitely welcome to come and talk it, sir. And you're there with your son now, so he's out of the hospital now? Uh, Yes, actually, we're actually in the process of um, moving uh, from his old apartment where the incident actually happened. Okay, I want to talk about that because uh, while he was at the hospital— which he was at the hospital for how long? How many days? He was pretty much there a whole week. All right, so he was he was at the hospital for pretty much a whole week. All right, hold on, Jesus, yeah. we'll get you. All right, so he was at the hospital for an entire week. Um, and then when did the Houston Police Department contact uh, Jay to get his side of the story of what happened to get you know, to fill out a report? Is this for me? Yeah, Mary Lou. Oh, okay. Um, actually, uh, when when I got there, when I heard from from my nephew, or well, not from my, but when I heard when I called, the nurse told me. Um, actually, I was trying to get a hold of them, and I kept on calling both detectives, and you know, I had no response or nothing. So I had to call like I had to make several calls, which is call like the Crime Stoppers, okay. and so many numbers, you know. And then they finally got you know to that point where they finally called me back, but which was a week later as well. Okay. All right, so, so the, and then once the, the Houston Police Department, I guess they gave Jay a call, what did they have to say to him? Um, nothing. They still had no suspects, no leads, and, you know, just, and for me not to be calling them, like, you know, like, I'm calling, I'm like, well, hey, you know, he can't speak, so I, I have to call for him, you know, because I just want to make sure that, you know, that it's safe for him, you know, like, not safe, I will, yeah, safe, but I'm saying, like, in order for him to, you know, be able to like at least be at ease. You know, with that being said, like right. you know, they're, they're just it was just crazy. Okay, all right. So the 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 Houston Police Department called called Jay, contacted him to to tell you to not call them. 
Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they they actually went to the hospital and told him that you know for their for their for him to let me know and advise me not to be calling them because they wanted to get me for harassment. Because you were calling them to find out if they were going to start investigating the case. All right, and, and, and this is Austin, Texas. In Austin, we used to have that police chief, Art Ostevedo, here in Austin. He used to be our police chief, and now he's down okay. in the Houston Police Department. So I'm hoping that someone hears this and will contact him, let him know that it took his police department nine days to contact the victim who was shot in the throat uh, and, you know, for them to, you know, get in touch with this guy and, and get a statement from him or from his family. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nine days. Yeah, because I, right. I know when I called, I'm sorry, I know, I know when I called, I wonder, there was two sergeants, you know, one of them, I think it was Sergeant Segura. He was a, he was, he was a gentleman, and he was, nice, he was nice enough to help me and tell me, hey, you know what, okay, I'm going to send him an email for you. All right. Because I understand that they have their own sergeants, you know. Right. And then also, let me ask you this. Um, so the apartment complex, so from what I'm understanding, what you told me earlier uh, is that the apartment complex is now evicting Jay, and they actually started the eviction process while he was in the hospital? Yeah, the next day, actually, they went and made an eviction notice and slammed it on his door. And not knowing, like, they didn't even advise him about, you know, about like, hey, you know what, you're going to get evicted. They, they just placed it on there, changed his lock and everything. You know, he had to find out like a couple of days later when. And I'm kind of confu- and I'm kind of confused. I need some attorneys and, you know, some people that are in real in, in real estate to make me understand, you know, how, can you really evict someone? They paid their rent, their lease. And so can you slap an eviction notice on someone's door the next day after something happens, change the lock on the doors and kick them out within 24 hours? That's what I, that was my question as well. <laughs> you know, it's like this story is just unbelievable. Not to my knowledge. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean. I, I own two rental properties. It's a long process to evict someone. And right. If, if they've paid their rent, I'm not aware of any laws that they can just go in and evict them because of a crime. I mean, this whole story, yeah, and, I'm just and, and you know, And you know what's crazy? Because on that video, it shows, again, like, you know, like, like we told you earlier, we have videos, cameras, all in that apartment complex. And it shows that where they literally, like, go in the apartment, you know? Like, okay, like, if you were to go in there, okay, there was also packages outside of the step door. Why couldn't you put those inside the building right. instead of taking them and let me, let me And let me make sure this is clear. So what we're saying is, while Jay's in the hospital, someone from the apartment complex went into his apartment and this is all before the investigation's complete. Yes. Oh, so they go into his apartment, and also I'm I'm hearing something about the video. His security video was turned off when someone yes. from the apartment complex went into his apartment. Tell me about that. Yes. yes um, it shows on the video where like his his money was right there, you know, in between his wallet, and then like the when the cameras were turned off, we couldn't see. We know, of course, what's going on. Once it was turned on, it's like the money was gone. All right. So what you're saying is someone from the apartment complex went into his apartment while he was at the hospital. Once they put an eviction notice on his door. But before the police started doing their investigation, because this is still within that nine days. So the police hadn't gone in and start you know, doing anything, really. And it's been nine days. It's, it's, this is within the nine days. So someone from the apartment complex goes in and turns off his camera. There was money on the table. Then they turn the camera back on and the money is missing is what you're saying. Yes. And it's all on camera. It's, we have the video of every, of all of it. All right. This is Josh, right? Yeah. Josue. Yeah. Josue. Josue. All right. Josue, thank you very much. I'm sorry we, we had a, we had problems pulling you up there. Uh, you know, definitely chime in on this. You know, what, did we miss anything? Tell me. Yeah. Well, um, at the beginning, the first 
I just want to, you know, have people realize that when Jay got to the hospital, he lost his phone. He didn't have no tablet. He didn't have no no internet access, or, you know, to access to the internet. So he had to find out about this like three or four days later after he found out, okay, well, I got to wait for a phone in the mail because he had to order a phone. And then, you know, he the landlord had got a hold of him, yes. But when he started looking through these videos, it's like he got robbed again. You know what I mean? Like he's already been robbed at gunpoint, but now these people that are supposed to protect and they're supposed to trust. Now it's like we're watching them do him dirty on the camera. And it's just, it's just making things 10 times worse and even worse for him. And then, and it all started out with the landlord because the landlord before the management even had came and even unlocked the door and told them, Hey, this place has been abandoned, you know, and that's why the locksmith was allowed to get in before that. Um, the management has already taken the packages off the front door. So, so someone's, you know, so someone's taking his packages is what you're saying. I'm on the phone. And then also what you're saying is that, um, (laughs) also what you're saying is that while he was in the hospital, he was evicted. He paid his rent, but they still served him with eviction notice, changed the lock on his doors. And then someone from the apartment complex, the management company, which is called the Tusk Property Management that's T-U-S-K Property Management located at 4252 Richmond Avenue, Suite 201 in Houston, Texas. Once again, that's 4252 Richmond Avenue, Suite 201 in Houston, Texas, 77027. Phone number of 713-614-3813. What you're saying is they actually went into his apartment, comp- went into his apartment, turned his security camera footage off, and now items are missing that we're seeing on camera right before the footage was turned off. And and while he turned off the camera, I, yes, you're correct. You're absolutely right. And while he was turning off the camera, before he went to the camera, it showed he had his phone in front of his face, you know, as, he, as if he was taking a documentary or, you know, okay, well, here's this over here. And, here's, and you can hear him identifying things as if he was taking a video as he was walking. And I bet you anything, if we were to ask to see that video, that he would no longer have on his phone because the money would be on that video because that's when he turned off the camera. Wow. This, I mean, this is a lot to stomach. It, it really, it really is. So that's why I had to ask these questions. I had to dig around, do some research and all that stuff because this is just, I'm just floored by this. You know, and this, this is just our investigation. This, all this work that we found out and that has been done and that, that has evolved. This is our work and all of our work we've turned into the police and we've turned in and said, Hey, come on, please help us. You know, please, you're like, we're trying to give you more information or as much as we can. Or we're trying to make your job easier. Because you, know, you guys so, you guys know who the suspects are. Not only do we know who they are, but there's more, you know, there's more that's even going on. And then there's already a police officer that advised Jay, hey, you should, you should file a, uh, you should, uh, um, you know, get this guy for stealing your money. They told Jay to open up a case on the management. You know, so we go and try to do that. And then we're getting told, hey, if you call us one more time. We're going to, you know, get you for harassing. You need to leave us alone. We're going to finish this conversation. We're going to talk about some other stuff. And we come back from the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Chad Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It.
1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're back and we're talking um, about Jay Alvarez. He's a, a victim of a home invasion in Houston, Texas. And we were talking with his aunt earlier. And now we're going to, we're talking with a friend. Um, Josue. Josue. We're talking with a friend, Josue, um, who's in Houston as well. And he's very familiar with what, what happened with, you know, his friend. And, and, and everything about this case. We're also going to talk to the father, Jesus, also. But, you know, Josue, you know, tell me this, because uh, this is just, man, this is a lot of stuff. I'm just, I'm so, I'm actually furious. It, it's overwhelming. Like, it, it's overwhelming and emotions. Like, I, I, I so feel for this kid that just telling, you know, somebody else's story who cares because I care, it's so, it takes a lot out of me. And I can only imagine how much it's taking out of him. Because it's his problem, you know what I mean? Right. And so it's just like, all I want to do is just help this kid because he should be in bed resting. Right. You know, he should be like letting his, you know, wound heal. And instead he's lifting boxes, trying to, he doesn't even know where he's going to live yet. Because mm. he's been evicted from his apartment complex within 24 hours while he's in the yes. hospital. This while is, he's in the hospital. This and, and honestly, there are things that you can do down the road, you know, because... <laughs> But it's just it's never going to fix it. You know, you can you know, you can always go back and sue and all that stuff. But you, you just not it's it, it's going to take a while to fix the situation. Right. And, and you know, what sucks is they've they have told Jay that, you know, we've already, you know, uh, filed with the courts, you know, for the eviction. And you have so many days. They went from 30 days. They went from 30 days to uh, to a week to five days now to another week. So as of, but as are, of but, right now, but tell me this, they've already changed the locks, have they not? They've already changed the locks, yes, and they've given Jay the new key. But then they weren't even allowed to go into the house for so many days because it was a crime scene. So they went. It was a crime scene, but they went into the house anyway. Well, they had no choice because they were running out of days. They only gave them five more. At that time, they only had five days to get out. Wow. And they didn't. They they moved it down to five days because Jay had a, had let that lady know, hey, your your manager had stole money from me. And in the in the cameras, this is what it shows, and she didn't like that at all. So then that guy had brought it down and said, "Listen, now you only have five days." All right, so let's go back a little bit. So we know exactly who these guys are, correct? Uh, we know who I know who one of them are. I haven't met any of them personally, but we do have a clear clear picture and clear identification of these guys, and a clear picture of one of the guys' ID. Because he, the one guy he knew for sure, and you have his his ID and everything. And Correct. so there's no reason why the police can't, you know, track this guy down. I've gotten so many hits and tips on. I mean, there's so many people who hit me up on Facebook just because of the post I posted on the 24th of December of here's all his dad's info. Here's where his mom works. I think this is the same guy who robbed me. I want to help you find him. Like there's been so many hints on Facebook of where this guy could be that it's just it's almost impossible for him to hide. And so now, let me let me go to Jesus for a second. Uh, the father, uh, you on with this, Jesus? I'm here. I'm All right. here. All right, sir. All right. So you're with your son right now, and I, I know he can't speak, and he wants to talk. He wants people to hear him. Uh, he has a GoFundMe page up right now because uh, this this young man has you know he's a victim of a crime, very yes, brutal, is. very nasty crime, shot in the throat, and then evicted from his home within 24 hours. From the apartment complex that he lived in, 
because of the crime. He paid his rent on Christmas Eve. And then, you know, after mm-hmm. Christmas, they evict him. Change the right. locks. And so you're there with him right now. You know, you know give me your thoughts. Well, <laughs> so many thoughts actually go by my head. Uh, for one is how the situation is being handled by the police uh, department here in this area. Um, they, I mean, just, just to start off, they really didn't do a good job in starting the investigation, and they're currently not doing a good job with the investigation. And, and you're, uh, you're, no, you're, and you're Ms., uh, Jesus, you're too kind, Mr. Al- Mr. Gonzalez. I'm sorry, Mr. Alvarez. Al- you're, you're way too kind, Mr. Alvarez, because, oh, yeah. you know, nine days. It took them nine days. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, we looked at video, like uh, Josue was saying, we looked at video because uh, the day we found out, we came, we headed straight over here. Um, we came over here uh, and saw what, you know, what condition Jay was in and everything. We, a few days later, we saw the video and we saw like, what have, we have evidence. We have proof of who did it, who they are. Now, it was a different story that the cops can say, well, we don't have no lead. Okay, they don't, they don't have no video and don't have no pictures. But like Oswald was saying, we did all that work for them. In two days that we were here, my sister and I, we compiled all this information. We got names, we got video, and... The cops didn't, didn't show up until after the fact my sister had done an interview with a local uh, TV station here in, in Houston. Wow. So they showed up. It was it was funny how they showed up as soon as that came out. And then they tried, like I was saying, they're trying to slap my sister with, oh, well, if you keep uh, calling us and bothering us, we're going to get you with harassment. Bothering you. Har- you're, you're bothering them and you're harassing them because your son was shot and you have evidence that you're trying to get to them and it's taken them nine days to investigate this. Nine yeah. days. I can't say that enough. To even do anything because uh, even then, after they handed the, inf- the information to them, they keep saying, oh, we have no further leads. We have no current leads. I says, are you serious? I mean, that just pisses me off. Pardon my French, but that just gets me so upset that they're not doing their job. They're treating this as, a, oh, whatever. It's just another crime. So, okay. It, it, if, if you don't mind me chiming in, uh, before, those nine days, I, I can almost guarantee the day they put the warrant out, and I think it's on that, on the, that police report that, that was finally you know, wrote, but uh, the day they put that, that police report out was the day that they also issued the warrant. That warrant would have never been issued, have, would have never been issued if me and a few friends, we had gotten a hint or like a, like a, a tip on where Marcus might be. And it was a good tip and it was a credible tip. And so as us, you know, being concerned, you know, family members and friends, we really care about Jay. We went down there to go find this guy and take care of it the correct way. We didn't go down there, you know, to do things dirty or nasty. We wanted to see where he was. And the moment we knew and we thought we knew where he was, which we did know where he was, we called the police and said, hey, listen, this is the, what's the, this is the issue. This is what's going on. We showed them the video. We kind of filled them in on the story. And they were, you know, this is the, in Galveston. And he was sitting in this apartment. And yet the warrant hadn't even been issued yet. And they said, listen, if we catch this guy right now, and he is in that apartment. We can't hold him for another, you know, the warrant won't be even ready for another five hours. So if we have him, we have nothing to hold him on. So the cop told us that not only did we make the situation worse because they have to let him go, but that, you know, now he's going to go to his other potential address in Louisiana. So we just hurt the, hurt the situation when that warrant should have been out from day one. 
So have you appealed to any of the, like the chief of police or anyone about the mishandling of the case? Absolutely. Um, I know that Jay's uh, Aunt Mary Lou has been on top of that. And I haven't wanted to call um, and, you know, have another person be calling saying, hey, what's going on? Hey, what's going on? So I know that Mary Lou has been taking care of, you know, that whole thing because she's all clued in and she knows what's going on with all, all that. But she has, you know, respectfully she has. Hey, I just want to see if you guys have had any leads. I have new information I want to give you guys. I have new, you know, videos that we want to show you guys. And, you know, they'll say yes, yes, and okay. But it's not until she actually made the first complaint to the chief that the police went to the hospital to go talk to Jay. And, you know, and I was in there. I, in the, Jay was in the hospital for almost 11 days, I, I want to say. And, you know, and I was in there for the 11 days while he was in there. And it's not until that first time the police had went and I said, you know, I better look at these. I better look at his cameras and look, at his, look through these videos. And he was in there for about five days. When, if I wouldn't have saw that video that was on his tablet of the, you know, the management taking his, his mail, he would have never known his mail had been taken mm. because they have never even said anything to him. And then not only that, get, this is what makes me even more upset. Not only that, they said they took his packages because they didn't want no one to take him. First of all, you changed the locks. You're the only one who has a key. You couldn't put him inside. Second of all, because, because of the ruckus with the package, they went and dropped the package back off three days later at his front porch and left him outside. Mm, mm. So tell us, uh, how can we, you know, how can we help Jay? Jay needs, Jay needs, he, he needs financial help right now. And that's only because right now the stress of him having to move and, you know, and I try to, you know, tell him, Hey, listen, Jay, I've done a search on your property. You don't have an eviction out for you, but he's such a nice guy. He's such a good guy. You know, he, he just doesn't want no problems. And real quick, and so, so always, and, and he, because we got, we got like 15 seconds. So he's got a, a GoFundMe page. Can you tell us about that? He does have a GoFundMe, yes. And what's the yeah, GoFundMe name? GoFundMe. What is it under? Um, it's under Jay Alvarez. All right, Jay Alvarez. All right, we're going to put that on Facebook. We're going to get the word out. going to let people know what's going on. I'm going to contact the Houston Police Department. I'm going to talk to the police chief, Chief Acevedo. I promise you that. Uh, get yourself a gun. Shoot back. This is Michael Cargill, and you've been listening to Come and Talk It. I'll take my Bible. You can keep your change. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.